Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, let me start with our scripture reading. Colossians 2, if you have your Bibles, will be in 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, <clears throat> by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, we, we come to you as your children. Uh, not, uh, we, we, we no longer submit to this spirit of slavery, of fear, but we cry out, Abba, Father, uh, we ask you, Lord, to teach us. Right now, from your word, speak to not just our minds, but to our hearts. Lord, stir up our affections for you. Spirit, illuminate the word for us. Give us minds, eyes, and ears that hear and see truth and are transformed to love you more because of it. It's in your name we pray, King Jesus. God's people said, amen. Um, who in here has ever thrown clay? Like sat at a potter's wheel and done the thing? Anybody? No, last service had like nine people that did it, and I was shocked, so now I'm surprised none of you have done it, but that's great, because then you won't know if I'm telling the story wrong. Um, last night, me and my wife, Sammy, uh, she's not here today because she had to work, but we went to this pottery place to make our own pottery, uh, and so the instructor sits down, and she does the demonstration first, and she's Obviously, she's good at it. She nails it. And so she has this piece of clay right in the center, and you notice her hands are just like, stay right in the center all the time. Uh, she's locked in, and as she presses in, the, the clay gets taller, and she smashes it down, it gets wider, and she digs in, and there's the hole that's made, and it's like, perfect. Of course. So then, it's our turn to do it, and uh, we get to it, and you don't know how hard it is just to center the clay on the wheel. Because when we go, the, the, the clay, if the clay's not centered, what happens? Which you've never seen anyone turn clay and swing with the clay because they're good at it and they just hold it centered. And, and if you don't have it centered, you have all kinds of trouble. You never get what you want because if you try to dig a hole in while it's not centered, while you're moving with it, 
It just does not work well. You have all kinds of trouble. And that's what's happening here in the Colossian church, that the Colossians are being jostled and pushed off-center away from Christ. They're saying, okay, you have Christ, and, and then there's false teachers coming in and saying, you also need this. You need to add this to your faith. You need to appease this other God. You need to do other things in addition to believing in Christ. And what's happening is they're being pushed off center because it's really when we're centered in Christ, when we know that our fullness is found in Christ, when we're filled with him, that's when we're shaped and molded into the kind of people God wants us to be. But when we're adding other things, we're getting thrown off center, and Paul's coming in with a really harsh warning. And this incredible, this passage has some truly astounding imagery in it, and he's coming in and saying, be ready for these false teachers. He, he says in here that uh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 3, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's not some other source you need to add. It's in Christ. He's the center. He's where you find fullness. And so then he uses militant language too. Like you need to be in good order, like battle formation, and you need to stand firm and not depart from this teaching. So what does being in battle formation look like? Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this is the positive command. This is what they are to do. He's going to give a negative command in a little bit, but the positive command is to walk with Christ. So now that they've received Christ, their whole life, their entire purpose in life is to walk worthy of Christ, which we saw in verse, in chapter 1, 9 and 10, walk worthy of Christ by walking with Christ. It's not by then adding other things. It's not by adding the Mosaic law or or appeasing other gods. Walk worthy of Christ by being established in Christ. See, at every point of our Christian walk, we don't need to add something else and move on from the gospel. What we need is more of Christ himself, to be more centered on him, to be more filled in him. And so this is the basis of Paul's attack on these false teachers. People are trying to get you off center. Here's what you should be. Here's the center being rooted, established, built up in Christ. Don't be taken captive. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So I want to make three observations about three of the terms in here in this verse. The first term, captive. So captive is the the same word for prisoner of war. Uh, And we're going to come back to this later. Just remember, captive is a prisoner of war. They've been set free in Christ. They're spiritually free. And he's saying, don't go back into slavery. Don't, Don't submit to anything else besides Christ. You've been set free. Second term I want to point out is philosophy. So don't be taken captive by philosophy. In the Greek, there's a definite article. Who knows what a definite article is? Uh, The. What I'm looking for is the. Uh, So it's the philosophy. 
That's what it literally is translated to. Don't be taken captive by the philosophy, which is speculated is what these false teachers were calling themselves, which is actually a pretty sweet name, right? Like, come join the philosophy. But Paul's saying, don't be taken captive by the philosophy. It's empty deceit. And and Paul isn't just against all philosophy. He's against a specific kind of philosophy. Because Paul uses philosophical language regularly, but he's saying all philosophy, the pursuit of wisdom, which philosophy literally means the love of wisdom, all wisdom is found not outside of Christ, but in Christ, in Christ in whom all treasures of wisdom are found. And, and so he says, don't look to any other source. And then he says, according to the elemental spirits of the world. So that's our third term, elemental spirits. The Greek word that's translated elemental spirits is stoikia, and it has two different meanings. And this is brilliant because he has two different audiences within the Colossian church, right? He has a Jewish audience, and he has a Gentile audience. And so th- these two meanings would, the same word with the two different meanings would hit the different audiences differently. So the first way it could be translated is basic rules or basic law. What do you think the Jews thought of when they heard this? The law of Moses. Yeah, you nailed it. The law of Moses. And we know from the book of Galatians that there was Jewish zealots coming into this baby church and saying, it's great that you've received Christ. That's a great first step, but you only got half of what you needed. Now you also need to be circumcised. You need to to follow the law of Moses. You need to keep certain rituals. You need to diet a certain way. And on it, they're adding to the gospel. And, and so he's telling this Jewish audience, don't add the Mosaic law, the basic rules to your faith in Christ. You're not lacking anything. And in fact, if you do that, you'll be pushed off center. And then his second audience is the Gentile audience. And stoichia also means elements. So you think of ancient elements like fire and wind and earth and the sun and the moon and the stars, each having their own pagan god or goddess attached to them. And so the Gentiles would think, oh, I don't need to also appease the god of Jupiter or, or Saturn. I don't need to appease anybody. I don't need any other resources. And, and actually, if I do, again, Paul's warning them, you're going to be taken captive. You're going to be pushed off center if you start to try to please these other gods because you don't need anything else. In Christ, you have all the resources you need. You don't need to add to your faith by adding law or appeasing any other gods. And that's the argument he makes in verse 9. For in Christ, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Full access to God. All that God is and what he does is available in Christ. And then verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's a remarkable statement. Christ, who is the fullness of God, you, if you're a believer, you have been filled in Christ. You are filled with the fullness of God because Christ now dwells in you through his spirit. This is the, the game changer. This is the, the, the thing that makes Christianity. <laughs> that he transforms us from the inside out, not by our actions, not what we do on the outside first, but there's a spiritual transformation because God comes and lives with us 
And then he goes on to say, you don't need to be physically circumcised because you have the only circumcision that actually matters, the spiritual one. Verse 11, in Christ, in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, because it's not physical, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So this is beautiful, but if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, this is really weird language, isn't it? Right? I was trying to imagine if I was, this is my first Sunday at church, and there's a lot of talk about circumcision here. Uh, it's just really weird if you don't know that this is a long-running metaphor. So in the, the Old Testament, if you join the people of God, you had a, if you're a male, you were marked physically by circumcision that you were part of God's covenant people. And, and this was an outward sign. But even that was a foreshadow. Deuteronomy 36, one day, people would not, the people of God would not just be circumcised physically, but there would be a circumcision of the heart. And, and that's now what Paul is referring to, that you've been, you have a circumcision made without hands. It's a spiritual transformation, a spiritual cutting off of the flesh. And, and now in the church, th- then he starts talking about baptism. Like, what? But now in the church, we have a different outward sign. Thankfully, right? Any new people want to join this church? <laughs> you don't have to get circumcised. What, you, what we do is the sacrament of baptism, right? And this is the, the metaphor. It's symbolic outwardly of what's happened inwardly. We've been buried with Christ, and we've been rebirthed in Christ. We have a new spiritual life, and, and that's why we practice baptism. And he so beautifully describes it here in verse 13 and 14, what has happened that makes uh, this new life possible. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This verse 15 I want to talk about for a couple minutes here because the imagery is incredible, but none of us really get the gravity of it because we've never lived in the Roman Empire. Uh, Here's a question for you. Before media, before printed, the printing press, before social media, uh, before you could take a selfie and post it, how did, how did really successful people stroke their own ego? How did Roman generals who were victorious on their war campaigns, how did they celebrate? They couldn't just post a selfie with the rebel king, like, defeated. What they did was even more obnoxious. They threw a parade. And, and so, if you were victorious in your war campaign, you'd come back to, and show the folks at home how glorious your victory was with a parade. And they called it a Roman triumph. And that's why Paul is using this word triumphing over them, verse 15. A Roman triumph. 
And the Roman general would be like the chief celebrity at this parade. He'd be dressed as the chief god Jupiter, and behind him would be all the spoils and glory of war. So there'd be all the possessions that they've seized, and then prisoners, captives. Think back to verse 8. There would be captives that the, the Roman general would bring back from their conquered nation. And, and the more prominent the captives, the more prominent the general. And these captives would be stripped bare, like humiliated, bedraggled. They'd be put in chains. They march through the city, and they're put to open shame. That's the, the phrase that Paul uses here. They're put to open shame. And, and if possible... Uh, they would try to have the king, the king of the country they just conquered, the very end of this parade line. Just marching him through the city, embarrassing him, humiliating. And at the very climax of this party, at the, the peak of this celebration, they would ceremoniously execute this king. Gruesome. It's horrific. I almost didn't include that part because it's so terrible and cruel and should not happen. But I want you to know the imagery Paul is using here. Paul's saying you could be a captive in this evil parade. And I'm encouraging you, don't be one of these captives. And the imagery Paul is using, he's telling us there's a war going on. There's a real spiritual war happening. And there's evil forces that delight in human destruction that want you to get pushed off center, that want you to add to your faith, that want to distort and distract the good news of the gospel. And they want destruction. And so this is the warning Paul's giving. Don't cave. Don't, there's a lot of plausible sounding arguments. There's a lot of social movements, political movements, all these other movements that are not centered on Jesus that you can give your life to. And we see people doing it. Don't become a captive. You've been set free. Don't buy into these empty philosophies. And the, the irony here, that Roman triumph that, that Paul's describing, the irony here is that Rome thought this is what they were doing to Jesus on the cross. They thought they were triumphing over him on the cross. And they thought, oh, Jesus not really that important right? They, he was not, he's not worthy to even bring back to Rome for this kind of celebration. He's a nobody. He has a, an obscure, like the, the Jews are an obscure people 1,400 miles away from Rome. He has a meager following. He doesn't even have an army. He's from Podunk, Nazareth. Why would we even bother with him? But you know what? Let's have a, let's triumph over him in, in crucifixion anyway. But the irony here is if you look at what Paul is saying, verse 15, read that again. He, being Jesus, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. Do you see the picture that Paul is painting here? This is of a different triumph where Jesus is the general. And it's actually through his crucifixion that he defeats all the powers of sin and evil and death. And it's in that that he disarms, he disrobes the rulers and authorities of both 
the, the earthly ones, but the, the spiritual ones. He, he is, Jesus is our general and his captive, death. Death is wrapped in chains and humiliated and, and dragged through the streets in Jesus' triumph. And, and the good news for us is Jesus is victorious over this spiritual war. That's the picture Paul is painting. Sin and death and evil are, are Jesus' prisoners. And we can be a celebrant in Christ's parade. And maybe this is all too uh, abstract, but let me distill it. What does this mean for us? So what? Well, well, that means that nobody, nobody can come in to anybody who's in Christ. To, if you're in Christ, nobody can come to you and say, hey, you also have to do this thing. I'm going to hold this over your head where you have to, to complete these, these rituals. Or, or you have to also appease this God. I live in Gilbert and like literally in my neighborhood, there's two Mormon wards. And, and people come and knock on our door and they come tell me, yeah, your scriptures aren't complete and you need to do this and this and this. And I can say with total freedom, I'm not submitting to that. There's no way that I'm going to add anything to my faith in Christ for salvation. I, I only submit to King Jesus. And he's the Roman general. He's already conquered sin and evil and death, and there's fullness in him. I'm filled with him. Why would I try to appease anybody else? Why would I try to join that? Nobody can come to you and hold anything over your head and say you need to do this because Christ has paid it all. And, and if you have walked in here holding, having guilt and shame over your head, I have good news for you that, that Christ has paid for it all. He's nailed the legal demands, every sin that you've ever committed, the, the, the crimes you've committed. He's nailed it to the cross. The, the same one who is our judge, he pleads our case. In Christ on the cross. So, so rich and so much good news in that. And I titled this, this sermon, Paradoxical Glory, because if you're looking at Jesus on the cross— it would look like Rome one. It would look like all the darkness of this world one. But it's actually in that time of surrender where, where Jesus seems so weak on the cross, that's when he defeats sin and evil and death. And there's this paradoxical glory that by, by him surrendering his life, he makes it possible for all of us to enter new life too. And then Paul, we've, you heard about the sufferings of Paul last week. Paul seems really weak, right? He's chained and in prison, and compared to Rome, like the Roman Empire, Paul, again, is a nobody. And, but it's in this time, while he's weak, while he's chained up in prison, where he pens these letters that nourish and build up the church, the young churches. And, and now the churches are still, right now, I'm still expositing the same letter Paul wrote. And it's nourishing and building up the church. And the church worldwide is alive and well. And what's, where's the Roman Empire? They've collapsed. Right? And the church is still going and will be till the end of time. And then the same thing is true for us today, too. It's not when we insist on our strength that we receive glory. Not true glory. It's actually when we insist on our weakness. When we say, I, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. 
I need you, Christ, to, to cover me. It's, it's when we repent, that's when we get our debts paid for. That's when we're, our trespasses are forgiven. That's when we're received into glory by Christ. And so my encouragement today is, is to remain strong in your weakness. To, to remain strong in your humility. And that's when we'll be centered. And that's when God will shape us into the kind of people that we are called to be. When we're centered on humility, on our own weakness, and, and God's strength. The supremacy of Christ and, and that nothing else, we can add nothing else to our salvation except for our, our cry out to him, Jesus. Remain strong in your weakness and you'll be gloriously rewarded. Pray with me. Christ, we confess that you are supreme. There's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. And, and I ask, just like Paul wrote, I ask that you would root us and establish us in you. That you would be our center. That we'd be built up in you. Holy Spirit, help us live in step with you. Keep us from being taken captive by uh, these other philosophies, these empty deceits that only lead to destruction. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. God's people said, amen.